Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome back to another episode of Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic, but rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. Hi, my name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So our topic for today is about franchising, and specifically, should you buy or maybe buy into uh, a franchise? And this is a model for a business that has just been exploding in the last couple of decades, and, and we're going to have a, a good friend and expert come on and talk about this in a minute. But it's, you know, it's a very interesting topic because... You know, entrepreneurship is becoming increasingly important, but not only that, entrepreneurship is changing. Historically, when we think about entrepreneurs, especially in, in, in my generation as a Gen Xer, we think about Silicon Valley. We think about Steve Jobs. We think about Mark Zuckerberg. We think about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and so forth. And they're entrepreneurs, no doubt about it, nothing wrong with what they did. But only one person, you know, not everybody can kind of be a genius that's going to start a business that literally changes how civilization works. And it's not a, a stretch to say that those are, the, those are the kinds of businesses that have done that. Um, as as uh, There's a lot of entrepreneurship that, that occurs with what I call kind of meat and potatoes businesses. They're not sexy like the Silicon Valley kind of um, kind of businesses, but all they do is they make money. And at the end of the day, you know, businesses are supposed to do that. You know, companies like Uber and Pinterest that did IPOs and they're, you know, they're so underwater, the next CEO is going to be Aquaman. Um, you know, those businesses, you know, these businesses make money and there's nothing wrong with them. And uh, I think we're going to see an even greater interest in, in franchising because, um we're seeing a lot of people kind of in, in transition and, and in their in their careers. And you know, for, for my part, um, you know, I reached a point where I needed to stop being an employee sometime in my, my early forties a few years ago. And you know, one of the things that people then might look at if if you're not going to necessarily if you're going to start a business, you're not necessarily going to go the venture capital route, is the, is franchising, um, and it works. You know, very well for some people, and for other people, it doesn't work as well. But that's the nature of really any business. That's not unique to franchising. But we're going to talk today about how do you find out if franchising is 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 the best fit for you, or frankly, if it's not a good fit for you, stay away from it and and, and do something else. So joining us today is my pal Anita Best. Anita is the president of Find Your Franchise Incorporated. Uh, she has owned four franchises herself and has spent the last 10 years consulting others who are considering owning a franchise. She is passionate, and that's an understatement, passionate with a capital P about small business ownership and lifestyle independence. She specializes in helping people leverage their beliefs 
attitudes, and transferable skills into a franchise opportunity that will meet their financial and personal goals. Anita, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for asking me. So how did you get into this this business? You've been doing it for 10 years. What what led you to this path that you've chosen? Um, like many things in life, it was really an accident. I sold real estate um, all through the 90s, and when Kelly Williams came to Atlanta, Kelly Williams Real Estate, they were a young, younger company at the time. They were recruiting me, and through the course of those discussions, I was a had been selling real estate a long time, and the opportunity came up to buy into uh, the Buckhead franchise when it was opening up. And uh, so I did. Uh, became an investor um, uh, in the franchise and was the managing partner for the first three years. So I really started from the inside of the franchise business. Um, Keller Williams has a very sophisticated coaching program that they recruited me into. So I helped coach other Keller Williams franchise owners around the country uh, on how to grow and build their franchise and be successful. Uh, a few years later, um, I did that for three years, built it into one of the top, at the time, one of the largest uh, franchises in the country. And then I decided to take a little break. The coaching was was very lucrative that I was doing with them. And uh, so I hired a new broker to run the office, retained my ownership, and moved down to Florida to spend some great years with my parents. They were getting older. And uh, looking back on it, that was a great decision. I decided to come back to Atlanta uh, a few years later and... Uh, they wanted me back in the Keller Williams system, but it was a great job, but a very difficult job. And I started thinking about the fact that I had been down in Florida for, for three years and had, you know, not worked at the franchise even through 08 and all that downturn. I still got a check every quarter. Uh, so mailbox money was nice and decided that maybe buying another franchise would be a good thing to do. And uh, so in my research, uh, looking at franchise opportunities, I um, came across a franchise broker and was really intrigued by that business model. Uh, so again, I started researching that in addition to looking at some franchises and decided that with my coaching training and background, with my franchise ownership background, it was a perfect fit. So I um, got some education, got some training, hung up a shingle, and the rest is history. And, and how... Uh, how did you move from franchise? Or do you consider what you do now franchise brokerage or more of an advisory? I never felt like a broker. That's okay. a technical name for what I do. Okay. But almost from the very beginning, my business was very consulting-based. I, I tell my clients that I am a, um, a research assistant, a subject matter expert, and a coach. And I tell them right from the beginning, you know, the majority of the people that come to me, that are referred to me, my business is virtually all referral, don't buy a franchise. They, they're on a dual path. They're looking at uh, another corporate job. They're in transition. Um, but almost without exception, they refer people to me. So my goal is is to ha have them have a good experience, get educated, um, uh, and not for them necessarily to buy a franchise, although happily I can say it does happen often enough. Okay. <laughs> so um, when I broach the subject of franchise, and, and you've taught me a lot about franchises over the years that we've known each other, so now I can have an intelligent conversation for about eight minutes or so. <laughs> um, and I well, you know, people will come to me, and they're in various kind of situations, and we'll talk about that later in the interview, but the, the question I always get back, or the reaction I always get back is, well, I can't do a franchise, I don't want to be in the restaurant business, I hate food service, I don't want to own a McDonald's, 
I mean, the franchise world is a lot more than food service now, isn't it? Yeah, I've been, as you said, doing this 10 years, I've only sold two food franchises. Um, I, I typically tend to talk people out of it um, just because I think there's so many other uh, incredible opportunities out there. Only about 20% of franchises are food. Franchising is just a business model. Um, most people don't know, but most of, if not many of, the Coca-Cola bottlers are franchises, traditional franchises. Your favorite sports team is a traditional franchise. Um, I've challenged people to name an industry that I can't find a franchise in. One time somebody said drones, and at the time I didn't have one. I have since found one in drones. Um, there, there's one that's gone out of business in the marijuana business in states where it was legal. They're, they're no longer around. But uh, there's, there's franchise in everything, healthcare, technology, home services, education. Just about every industry you can think of, there would be a franchise, uh, at least relative to it. No, that one that went out of business was was that the drone business that went out of business? No, or marijuana no, I think the business drone, that went out of I business. I think the drone business is doing well. It okay. was the marijuana business. <laughs> I was just kind of wondering because marijuana and flying drones may or may yeah. not be the best <laughs> combination out there. Just, just sort of my, my gears kind of turning on that. Um, so, uh, you know, the Small Business Administration provides lists of franchise failure rates. And, you know, n- not all franchises are created equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get a lot of, uh, they get, uh, frankly, I think they get a lot of negative attention, sometimes undeserved. And I think it's because nobody wants to read a story about a plane landing safely, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's always fun to beat on some franchisor that is taking too much money, whatever they're, you know, whatever they're doing, right? Um, but I think the Small Business, uh, Business Administration has a list of the the franchise failure rates as as a as a function of where the SBA provides the financing to buy a franchise and then what is the default rate? Mm-hmm. H- have you seen that list? Do you think that's a good thing for somebody to consult as they think about the kind of franchise or the specific franchise they might consider buying into? Um, it it might be a small data point, Michael. I'm very familiar with it. it's the Coleman report. Um, the last one that I have um, uh, the entire report of was from 2011. Um, If a franchise sells 100 franchises and two of them use SBA and one of those fail, it's going to show up as a 50% failure rate on the SBA's list. True. Um, And there's – so you can extrapolate all kinds of crazy numbers that would come up. I think the Coleman report is more effective to use – from an industry perspective, if you are to take all the restaurants out of the Coleman report and see how many restaurants fail versus how many, um, let's say, auto repair franchises fail versus how many home care franchises fail, you can come up with some data there that's interesting from which industries may have higher failure rates. But there's so many other things that go into it. And the, the simple fact that it's, a, a, in, in my opinion, very few people use SBA loans. I've, I, you know, a small minority of my clients use SBA loans. They use everything from home equity to commercial loans to a lot of them use retirement funds. There's, there's government um, uh, uh, IRS-approved programs where you don't have to pay penalties and interest on the money that you use if it's done under very strict guidelines. So I don't see it as a strong indicator without having a lot of other information to look at as well. Okay. So 
maybe it's one piece of the whole conversation, but don't make it your whole conversation. No, I, I, I typically don't even look at it anymore. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, as I said, other than from an industry perspective, you can sort the list if you can if you buy the current list, which I've quit doing because I didn't find it to be that important for yeah. me. Um, you can sort it. And uh, a perfect example is there's one... I don't want to mention the name. It might be too controversial, but there's a household name franchise that everyone would know that is very successful and has made many, many millionaires. And for uh, 2000 to 2000, I'm sorry, 2000, yeah, 2000 to 2010, they showed a 20% SBA loan failure rate, Huh. which I find very difficult to believe. And even if some of the units failed, the operation didn't fail. It failed for other reasons, and, and the franchisor took it back, ran it successfully, sold it to someone else. So um, I think it's not one of the stronger tools to use. Interesting. Okay. So somebody walks in the door or hits you by email, and they say, you know, Anita, I'm, I'm interested in exploring franchises, types. What kind of franchise might be right for me? What does that process look like? Yeah, it's... A lot of it's a, a, a getting to know you process. Um, I have a, personally, I have a, a business personality assessment that I use, it's very similar to the DISC profile. You're probably familiar with the DISC profile. I am. They said I took one for my old job, and they said I was clinically insane. Basically, yeah. <laughs> actually, those tests don't uh, are not a good predictor of mental illness. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I, I use that. Um, and I, I, by the way, I do see assessments more of a. A conversation tool, not a dictate. For example, mm-hmm. like my desk profile shows me all DI low SC, which means that I would be terrible with details. And I, it's more a matter of comfort. I don't like details, but I use computer lists, you know, very disciplined with using my computer. Nothing ever falls through the cracks. Right. If I had to sit in front of spreadsheets all day long, I'd be miserable. But so we all have compensating factors for our our natural personality styles. But I do. It's a great conversation piece for me to get to know people. Um, and then I also have a four page candidate questionnaire that my clients tell me really helps them think through business ownership and everything from B2B versus B2C, service versus product, number of employees they'd like to have, lots of questions like that, and a list of industries to rate which ones they have higher and lower interest in. And by going through that process, uh, after I get that information back from my clients, we um, then have another conversation. I have more questions. They have more questions. I send them information to read. um, And then I start doing my research based upon what they said. Um, there's no magic wand that comes out of that, like poof, the perfect franchise for them doesn't pop out. But it's a that getting to know you process um, really helps me to refine things and, uh, that would be good for them. And then I've, I've been remiss. Um, I, the economics is crucial. Um, I've talked many people out of buying a franchise right now. I know a guy's out of work. He's maybe got $100,000, and he's got four kids, and his wife doesn't work, and he wants to buy a franchise. I go, you need a job, <laughs> you know? That's good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, that's, that's a sign of a great professional, by the way, that will look somebody, and it's like, I'm going to talk myself out of work here, but this ain't for you, man. Yeah, but that's okay. They send me business. They appreciate yeah. it. So that's, that's right. uh, that works out just fine. But um, both... Um, their, their current financial situation, how much money they need to make, um, uh, you, you know, their comfort level with it. Obviously, those 
how much they have and how much they need to make, uh, what their overhead is, have them look at all of those points and make sure that it makes sense. And, of course, there's franchises you can buy for $50,000 without brick and mortar that don't have the high overhead. Um, that, but, you know, as, as, as a general rule, it's, it's going to be more than that. So it sounds like you invest a lot of time, maybe as much or more, but you, you can correct me, on the personal match as opposed to the, just the raw economics of the franchise, right? Maybe there's some – I'm sure there's some very good franchises out there, franchise systems that enjoy consistent success. Maybe they're booming. They're capturing a great trend, right? But is it, is it fair to say that could be trumped if the personality match isn't right? Then maybe you go with something that on the surface is financially a little less lucrative if it's clearly a better personal match. It's it's probably both. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of people come to me wanting to do something they love. They love to play golf or they um, – well, let's just, you know, use golf. If you look at most golf professionals, they're out there hot and sweaty all day. They're not making a lot of money. They don't become golf pros. They become golf teachers, and it's not necessarily doing what they like, and they don't make a lot of money. Most people that are doing what they really love – aren't making a lot of money, artists, musicians. Um, so oftentimes that kind of fit is not as important as finding something you can be passionate about delivering really well and loving what a day in the life is all about. That's more, to me, what a great fit is. I'm not sure if I exactly answered your you question did. there. No, you actually did. Um, but you yes. actually did. So, it's, I mean, it sounds like it's a pretty even it's, – it's actually sounds like a pretty complicated balancing act matching well, economics with personality. Yeah. Well, I, I spend um, probably half of my time looking at franchise opportunities so that I have a mental inventory. I've got contracts with about 600 brands, but I have access to detailed data on over 2,500 brands through a service I, I subscribe to. So – and, and I also have a mastermind group of a dozen top women. We call ourselves the Power Women Brokers, a dozen okay. female brokers around the country. We have a once-a-month scheduled call. We have um, daily emails going back and forth where we share good concepts, bad concepts, clients we're having trouble fitting. It's a great support group because consulting can, this kind of consulting can be very lonely. You spend a lot of time in front of a computer by yourself doing research. Um, so uh, reading about, learning about good brands in many different areas, many different price ranges, researching their success rates, um, it gives me a mental inventory of concepts. And then when I have a client and I learn a lot about them, the financial piece really is first. You, if the financial piece isn't there, then it's it's you know, the rest of it not a good matter. fit, yeah. right. Then it becomes something that they can get excited about, can see themselves executing on a daily basis. Um, and, and so therein lies the fit. And there's there's no franchise that has 100% success rate. There's no business that has 100% success rate. Yeah, I mean, I usually say there's like a 30, 33, 33, 33, um, when you look at franchises, you're going to find 33% of the people that buy them that are miserable and wish they hadn't done it and aren't making enough money. You're going to find the 33 and a third percent in the middle that are out of their corporate job. They're not killing it, but they're happy. It's improved their lifestyle. And then you're going to find that top third, hopefully, that are go-getters. They are executing at a very, very high level. They're, you know, they're making 
they're exceeding their expectations from a financial perspective and from a lifestyle perspective. Um, you know, I, I, oftentimes I compare it to real estate. I was a you know real estate broker for three years, and before that, sold real estate for ten years. Talk about a revolving door. Probably ninety percent of the people that get a real estate license a year later are not selling real estate. Doesn't make real estate a bad business. It's got to be the right fit, and you have to be passionate about it, and you have to execute. And franchise ownership is very very similar. So uh, that segues nicely, kind of in the next question, in that a franchise. And maybe even entrepreneurship in general is not for everybody, right? And, and thank God, if everybody in the world was an entrepreneur, it'd be chaos. Yeah. <laughs> nobody would ever take nobody would ever take direction, and you'd have nine billion people going in, in different directions. But what's what's kind of a profile where you kind of know pretty early in the process that somebody's not a good candidate to be a franchise owner? What are kind of the warning signs you frequently see? Um. I'd like to come back to that in a second, but I just want to touch on entrepreneurship for a moment. I, I, yeah. I heard a great definition of entrepreneurship. It's the Harvard Business School definition, actually, and it says, the pursuit of opportunity without regard to resources currently controlled. <laughs> when you're buying a franchise, you ha- it has to be in regard to resources currently controlled, okay. or at least that's my coaching on the subject. So depending on your definition of entrepreneurs, I find that true entrepreneurs, by that definition, don't make good franchisees. Really? Because they want to do it their way. Oh, and, and the, but a franchise has, I mean, they have a playbook. They have a playbook. Which you more or less have to follow. Exactly. So uh, senior executives make great franchisees because even though they've got a lot of control, they have to execute, but they've ex- even if they're the president, they've got to execute according to the board's control or, you know, there's there's... There's lots of restrictions. There's a budget that they have to follow. Um, they've got a, 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 a chief marketing officer that's going to give them direction. So senior executives make great franchisees, typically. A true entrepreneur is going to want to do it his way and or, or her way. Right. And the, in my experience, the two reasons franchisees typically fail one is undercapitalization which i'll do everything i can to keep that from happening to somebody at least on the front end and number two is not following the model you're buying a franchise because it's a proven business model well there are those that come in there and think they have a better way to do it and and that can be a recipe for disaster oftentimes after the first year or two after you're executing according to the model great you got some good ideas try them out talk to other franchisees in that system see if they've tried it if it's worked or not that's that's called the franchise family most franchises they talk to each other and so they can compare notes on that um so you're less likely to make mistakes because there may be others that have already made those mistakes or tried those things, or you might come up with a great way to make the brand better. Most fr- most uh, franchise uh, companies have, um, oh, not board of direct, not a board, but a, a, a board of franchisors that get together regularly and talk about new systems, new models, new ways to do things. So you've kind of got that uh, bigger brain mm-hmm. working on your business with you. All right, so if, if you're not a rule follower, right, then, then being in a franchise will be difficult. What, what else? Are there other kind of, kind of warning signs or features that you, know, you would kind of flag somebody away from doing a franchise? Really, uh, the capitalization piece. Um, if you're well-capitalized enough and, and you want to be independent and have more control over your life, um, and you're willing to follow a model, 
which, by the way, many franchisors in their process of taking someone through learning about their franchise, if people, you know, don't show up for calls or aren't willing to follow the models or don't do homework that's given to them, homework in Mm -hmm. quotation marks, um, they won't want them as a franchisee because they have to report their success rate and their FDD every year. So, so there, there you have it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in terms of having, in terms of the 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 capitalization, does that mean does that mean you're basically talking about how much runway they have? So that you know the bit not not every business will just start making money hand over fist right away, right? right? Even a franchise most won't. Right. So, is there a rule of thumb in terms of how much runway you recommend somebody have before embarking on this? It this depends. Path? Depends on the brand. Okay. If you're doing a, a home based franchise or something that can be run out of a small warehouse or a small office um, you don't need a lot of runway and those typically cost less on the front end oftentimes can have a much higher long-term income potential um, you got to be able to pay your bills right if you're looking at investing in anything in a strip shopping center or real brick and mortar where you've got to sign a five-year lease and you've got to pay employees and you've got to have inventory, you need to have 18 months, two years runway, Hmm. um, both working capital and personal living expenses. Some can ramp up much faster than that, but if it doesn't, if you don't execute as quickly as you think or there's a blip anywhere, that'll take you down. Whereas if you're working out of a warehouse or a, a small office, um, a lot less money is needed to have a much longer runway. Okay. So it depends on the concept and the type of franchise. And, and you know, some franchises are much more capital intensive than others, like as, as you just alluded to. If you have a, a highly service-based business where you yourself even could kind of show up and provide the service, that's one thing. But if you're going to do, I don't know, um, uh, if you're going to do a hotel for example, many of which are franchised, right? Right. That's millions of dollars potentially of upfront costs. Yeah, and and ongoing capital investment right, for right. sure. Okay. Yeah. So, um, what what? I, mean, I, I'm, I would imagine a lot of the people that come to you, they may have an interest in a franchise, but they haven't necessarily been in that business before. It, you know. Is that a deal breaker if you know if somebody wants to get into healthcare but they you know they never never done healthcare they don't even know how to put a bandaid on does that preclude them from being in the business or can they be trained up or how how does that dynamic work The vast majority of uh, people that I see buying franchises wind up in an industry that they are completely unrelated to Now there are some that have being Having knowledge of that industry is helpful, but that's part of the beauty of a franchise. It's more your skill set, your um, desire, energy, and ability to execute, mm-hmm. um, feeling an affinity for the business um, that is important. But in most cases, you don't need to have a lot of experience in that industry. You have to have the skill set to execute the business, the business model. And most of these franchise systems not only offer training, they'll require you to participate and do well in the training before they'll grant you the franchise, correct? Well, no, actually not. Um, Most of them do have extensive training, and and the research process with any franchise concept is typically going to take 
at least six weeks. They'll have webinars. They'll have different people in the company they want you to speak to. You're going to want to be doing some research on your own. But um, I only have heard of one franchise over the years that actually allows you to go to training before you purchase the franchise. Because there's, I think that would be kind of fraught with trouble for the franchisor Mm. because of uh, insider knowledge and information. They're not going to let just anybody come to oh, their, yeah, that makes sense, to their franchise trade training. There. Right. But every franchise has training. Some of it is uh, uh, distance training. Some of it is you go off to them for a week or two weeks. I know many that have a two-week training program. Some of them um, obviously have required reading for you to do um, some of them send people into your territory. And most of them have some combination of those three. So there is a lot of training once you sign on the dotted line and and purchase your franchise. And there's ongoing training, too, varying degrees. Many franchisors have um, coaches that you talk to once a week, and you can call more often if you want to. Many of them have annual conventions where there's a lot of training. A lot of them have uh, weekly calls that all the franchisees can get on and talk to each other and compare notes and share, or intranets um, where you can you know, type in information and... Um, uh, another franchisee that has the answer will respond and you can jump on a call with them if you need more information. So there's lots of resources for ongoing support Got in it. a good franchise model. So do you have a favorite success story of somebody that you've helped get into the franchising business? One of my favorites, and this is just about two years ago now, um, a, a, a female executive here, a Kettering member, a good friend of mine, um, called me and said that um, her daughter was a meteorologist in Alabama, and they were married, and her husband was selling insurance, and she was looking for a change, he was looking for a change, and what I talked to them about franchise opportunities. And of course, that's very flattering when somebody will trust you with their children, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I worked with them probably for five or six months. Um, they purchased a franchise. It was a home modification franchise for seniors. I run out of a small warehouse. Um, and uh, they love it. They're so excited. They send me these lovely notes. They were rookie of the year, their first year. Um, and when I see their mom, she's so grateful. I mean, that's, it's just to see, you know, younger, most of my candidates are senior executives just because that's the world I've been living in. And, um, uh, and that's rewarding too, but to have the children of a good friend achieve that level of success, you know, to see these young kids starting out on this entrepreneurial journey. And I think it's great because most, um, and there I use the entrepreneur word and, (laughs) But uh, most people that get into business for themselves, it's usually not the last one. It usually turns into multiple streams of income. You've got the freedom to control your schedule. So oftentimes other opportunities present themselves or additional territories possibly with the concept that you're that you've already uh, working within um, or just, you know, other opportunities start to present themselves. So it was really fun and exciting to see this young couple do that. All right, so um, uh, we're running out of time here. So I think the last question I want to ask you is, uh, if somebody wants to learn more about this kind of opportunity, this kind of direction for themselves, how can they best contact you? Well, can thank- they contact you? And if so how, how can of they course. best do that? Thank you for Mike. Michael. That would be very nice. Um, they could um, send me an email at anita at findyourfranchise.com, just like it sounds. Um, they could call me, 404-218-7808. 
or they could send me a text and I'd be delighted to chat with them. Okay. So that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to again thank Anita so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.